The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Oh, Luna, how do you get so high? Welcome to Why We Are Here with empowerment coach, energy healer, and visionary author Sharon Rose Washington. Why We Are Here is a portal of heartfelt communication designed to inspire you with expansive words of wisdom, personal insight, and open candor from luminary guests around the world. Now, here's your host, Sharon Rose Washington. Hello, and welcome to Why We Are Here. I'm your host, Sharon Rose Washington. You've now entered into that comfortable atmosphere where luminaries from around the world join us to share their contributions, findings, and opinions. My guests today live day in and day out in a world governed by those whom are called man's best friend. Robert Cabrell is the founder and executive director of Bound Angels, a nonprofit brainchild organization he created that provides a unique service to shelters, humane societies, and rescue organizations formed to help save the lives of countless shelter pets. Bound Angels is dedicated to bringing attention to the shelter crisis and implementing proven solutions that work. He is also an author of two books, Selling Used Dogs and Desperate Dogs, Determine Measures. Both books are a handy resource to many dog trainers, owners, and dog lovers throughout the world. Later on in the show, I'll be speaking with Daryl Dogman Young, owner of Canine Basic School of Dog Training. Daryl Young is recognized as one of the best dog trainers in the United States with over 40 years of experience in international competitive dog training. But for now, let's focus on my first guest, Robert Cabrell. Welcome, Robert. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Why We Are Here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I I first want to thank Sonia Valerde and Dr. Deborah Jackson for introducing us so I could invite you on the show. Great people. Yeah, they're fantastic, and I have because I have two Harlequin Great Danes. They're Sterling and Aristotle, oh. so I'm I'm actually dedicating this show to them. Awesome! <laughs> I love dogs, and I'm really really passionate about their welfare. So this is a treat uh, to have you on. Well, it's my my pleasure to be here and talk about what what we all love, man's best friend. Thank you. What was the pivotal point in your life that made you decide to do the work you do uh, with dogs? You know, it's, it was an interesting time. I had rescued a Sharpay from a girl that I knew who couldn't keep him. And um, and I just was, I looked at him and I was so happy that, you know, to have this best friend in my life and, and share my life with him. And I started thinking, you know, there's probably other dogs that don't have a life as good as this. And I started donating food to the shelter. And one day I just went from dropping the food off to actually walking behind those steel doors and seeing what was going on. And I was floored. I was just devastated at the at the plight of so many dogs. And from that day on, which was right around somewhere 2006, 2007, um, it just changed my life. I just started working, saving dogs, training dogs, and everything. That's beautiful. What Now, talk about Bound Angels. The name, how did you 
come about the name, uh, what it's all about, who it serves? Well, the, it's interesting because I always thought, you know, everybody says, oh, my dog is my angel and this and that. And I thought that these dogs in the shelter are living in bondage. They're just, they're just completely, you know, helpless. And I thought these are bound angels that need to be freed. And that's just mm-hmm. where the name came from. I just thought it was so fitting. And it just popped in my head one day. And I said, well, bound angels. And there was nobody who was using a, a name similar that everybody would have something with paws or dogs or something like that. And I just thought it was an interesting way to really address the issue in a very different fashion. As opposed to making it about the dog, we make it about the issue. Oh, I love the name, especially now that I know, you know, why you named the company that. Mm-hmm. So, so some of the shelters, I mean, like when you first were in that particular shelter in regards to your friend Sharpay, are some of the shelters really, you know, a place that you really don't want to be in? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the problem with dogs in shelters is it takes away everything that makes them dogs. They become, you know, uh, an, an animal again, where a dog is really related to humans and they're in, they're integrated into our lives and we've mutated them to become really a part of us. There's no animal in the world that is as domesticated as a dog or relates to humans as well as the dog, including our closest living um, relatives, which are the monkey, the chimpanzee. Um, dogs uh, relate to us better and understand our communication skills better than the genetic mutation of who we really are. Have you ever heard of the term familiar? Familiar? Yeah. In there, there's, yeah, there's a book. Uh, Alice Walker wrote a book called The Temple of My Familiar. It's one of my favorite books. Oh, I love and, Alice Walker. Yeah, and she she talked about the domestication of the animals and how there are familiars. They're an extension of who of who we are, and we're an extension of who they are. It's just beautiful how she wrote it. So, when I'm thinking about your uh, bound angels, I think about I, I call actually I call Aristotle and Sterling my familiars. Oh, I love it. Isn't that beautiful? I, I just love, and I love Alice Walker. I mean, what an amazing human being she is. So, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll have to read that. Yeah. What's needed most uh, for the audience to know by the dogs that you assist? What is needed most? Well, I mean, what's so amazing is you're doing the show with, with me first and, and then uh, Daryl afterwards. What's really needed for dogs is training. Uh, train dogs, and Daryl will tell you this, I'll tell you this in my private practice, I train protection dogs and obedience dogs and pet dogs. Train dogs have the upper hand in all cases because, one, they have a clear understanding and a clear relationship with their humans. They are the least likely dogs to end up in shelters, and if they end up displaced, they're the easiest dogs to rescue because they have manners, they have an understanding, they have a relationship. They have every single tool that will save their lives, and it's the one thing that we as humans shy away from because we think, oh, well, why put the pressure on them? Why make them do things they don't want to do? Where, in fact, they want to do them. You see, dogs want to be want to have a job. They want to relate. They want to coexist with us. And we go to work, and we serve a purpose. They as well want to serve a purpose, so they don't want to just lay around and watch Oprah all day. They want to yeah. work. They want to train and play and, and relate to us. So training is the number one thing that's needed for dogs before they end up at shelters, um, dogs that end up in shelters, and once they get out of shelters. I'm not sure if you know Julia uh, Bainon. Have you ever heard of her? I do, she- I do know that name. She's in Rescue, right? Yes, she has a nonprofit that she runs called Canine Connection. She was on my show previously. Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, Julie, yeah. Because she, she also works with Pat and Catherine when I work with Canine Connection. Oh, my God. Well, she came on the show, and I was so excited when I met her years ago. I met her at, um, uh, there's a wildlife, California Wildlife. I, I, I love work that. that. 
Mm-hmm. I work there every year and, and um, work with the California Wildlife. And she, uh, she works with at-risk teens where they meet the yep. shelter dogs yeah. and they have that relationship. Isn't that beautiful? Well, for the last five or six years, I've been doing the temperament testing and placing those dogs in those programs. Oh, this is so, crazy. I isn't that love funny? it. Isn't that an amazing connection? Yeah. I love it. I'm, I'll definitely let her know that, that you came on and because yeah. uh, she's, she's such a beautiful person, too. Amazing person. And you were saying, because I thought of her just now, because you were saying the dogs want to be useful. And, and that's where it goes the other way, where the dogs are able to help these teens with yeah. discipline and to be useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably one of the most amazing programs, um, just so you know, and I've worked with a lot of programs, because it takes at-risk children, human beings with at-risk canines, which is our closest, you know, uh, like you said, familiar, and puts them together and everybody wins. So how, how amazing is that? It's, it's unbelievable. Or it, my, as my daughter would say, it's believable, Mommy. Yeah, I love um, it. I, you know, I was the child in the family that always brought the stray dogs home. And, mm-hmm. and, but in this particular time, I didn't adopt my current dogs. And I know many who've adopted pets, and they kind of frown that I didn't at this point do it. They actually have said if, if everyone adopted, then there wouldn't be stray homeless pets. W- what do you have to say to that? You know, I'll tell you, um, and, and it's a quite, quite a controversial subject. I don't believe that statement um, because there are a lot of people that I know that have bought dogs and they love their dogs just as much as people who have rescued them. Um, it, the statement is equal to saying, well, you know, we're trying to help children who are, you know, orphans, so why don't we not have children until there are no more orphans? It doesn't solve the problem. The problem needs to be solved in a fashion uh, such as this. We buy a dog, rescue a dog, adopt, whatever the, whatever the situation is, and that dog stays with us for life. We love the dog. We care for the dog until the dog takes its last breath. Um, if you don't put dogs into the shelter, you're not part of the problem. You're creating awareness. I create uh, help and service to dogs. Those are huge, huge issues. Pointing the finger at people who are purchasing a dog for whatever reason they're purchasing it for doesn't help the problem. Yeah. I, I never feel guilty because I know... <laughs> Yeah, I don't. But it just—it's like, wow, they're kind of—it's kind of snobbery a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It would be like if people who had dogs, such as yourself or myself, we have purebred dogs, and my dog's a working dog, a sport dog, a protection dog. If I were to look at people and say, "Oh, your dog—you know—is not that good. You should have bought a dog. You would have got a better dog." It's—it's—it's it's, it's displacing people. It's separating people, and separation is the worst flaw that humanity suffers. Yeah. We're all one. We're all one organism, just like, you know, the, the old saying, we're all made of stardust. It means dogs and us are made of the exact same material. So why should we separate someone who loves their dog, who happened to have purchased their dog, and, um, and, and separate them from somebody who's rescuing a dog? I think we're all the same. We're all trying to get to the same solution. We're all trying to help animals, and we all love them. So why not work together? I agree. And, and I, one of the things for me was that my husband had had um, Dane since he was a teen, mm-hmm. And and also, I know the grandparents of both dogs. It's kind of All cool right. to to know the family history, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, here's the thing: a lot of dogs, you know, I always say a shelter dog is a great pet, and and they, you know, they're amazing animals. And some people like to adopt dogs from shelters, and some people choose to buy dogs. It, I, you know, I don't support puppy mills. I would never get a dog from a pet store, um, right. and, and I would really advocate people not to do that. I really am against backyard breeders, but there are very legitimate breeders who are breeding dogs who um, are doing an amazing job, and, and yes. I work with them, 
and they help rescue. They take in fosters. They understand the breed and the genetics, and they help people to better understand their dogs, and they're part of the solution as well. Well, thank you for clarifying that, you know, because like I said, I was the kid that always brought the strays that were right. like out there in the street, and so it's just a little different now, but thank you for clarifying all that. Oh, my pleasure, uh, yeah. How, how do you build confidence in a dog? Well, you give them a job, and you allow them to understand that they are pleasing you and that, 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 that you're, you have an autonomous, strong relationship. It's very similar. I used to teach karate to children. They need to understand that they have a strong independence. They, they have their own strength, and from that strength, they can learn to interact better with people and other dogs. So dogs that are weak, dogs that are coddled, dogs that are constantly hugged and kissed, dogs that have no job, dogs that are spoiled, those are very weak-minded dogs and, and become problems in society because they end up biting or, or, or causing a lot of more problems. Sounds like you're talking about kids, too. You know what I mean? When you think of society. And... Yeah, they're the same. And like I said, I taught karate to children for 10 years. And when I first started training dogs, I took that knowledge and passed it over to dogs, and it worked 100%. You're a professional photographer, too, right, and martial artist? I am, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about your books, uh, Selling Used Dogs and Desperate Dogs Determined Measures. What inspired you to write the books? Well, there was a woman that I knew named Blake, and uh, she asked me to do a temperament assessment on a dog, and then she said, and I said, I'm busy, I can't do it today, and she said, boy, if I had your skill, I would do it all day for free. And I thought, wow, what if instead of me doing the work, I could actually teach people how to do the work and help more animals? And then I wrote the books. And they're both very different books. The, the Selling Used Dogs book was, um, is really a guide on how to use photography and, and social media and marketing and emails and everything, how to get dogs out of the shelters, how to sell them and, and make them, you know, I hate to say it, a commodity, but, but a commodity, something that we can actually pass on. And people have criticized the book for its title, which many have, said, well, you know, you're talking about selling them like they're cars. And I said, well, if we're not selling them, we're killing them. And so I'd rather be accused of making them a commodity and trying to sell them than be the person who's letting them sit there and letting them be killed. Well, it's a, it's a very powerful title, and so it gets the attention. That's what I feel. And they actually call your, your books the Bibles of the dog industry, don't they? Yeah, the shelter. It's really really got geared towards shelter. So I'm, I'm working on a book right now that for, for pets. But these books are geared solely towards animal shelters, animal rescues, and, and organizations like Humane Societies and stuff like that. And Desperate Dogs addresses the difficult behaviors in dogs, shy dogs, dominant dogs, aggressive dogs, and how to work with them in the shelter environment and how to get them to, you know, to be safe dogs or how to better understand which dogs we might need to kill. Yeah. yeah, it's the understanding. I think that's what's important. The education is what you're bringing. You know, correct. You um, you've developed the Shelter Angel video program, and you've got uh, Bound Angels YouTube channel. How helpful do you feel that is? Oh, it's, it's 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 amazing. Back when I started it, there was no one doing videos on dogs. You know, they're always the videos they showed were shot on really um, crummy cameras or I, you know, on, on old phones, and they were shaky and everything. And um, in the Shelter Angel videos, what we did is we made them into music videos with a little story about the dog. They're between one and three minutes long, and the. The, those videos have proven a hundred percent success rate, and shelters throughout the world have started doing them and following the little template we set forth. And every dog has gotten adopted out of those videos. Fantastic! Now you're in league with many organizations. Uh, are there a few you'd like to mention? Boy, I mean, 
you mean as far as humane societies and stuff like that, or yes, like shelters? Yes, yes. Well, I work with the LA City shelters, you know, at at, at length. You know, I've worked with them through the last three or four general managers. Currently, with Brenda Barnett, we just started the um, play groups where we take dogs out. And uh, my friend, Commander Louis Dato, and I would take out, you know, anywhere from five to 35 dogs that have never met each other and put them in huge play groups and let them run around the yard. And dogs were getting adopted right out from the groups. And I think that was probably one of the best programs that we've ever done. And I've worked with Ventura County Animal Control. Um, I've worked with uh, Yavapai Humane Society. I've worked with Palm Springs Animal Shelter. I've worked with shelters all over the country and, you know, all over the world. I've taught my my system too and they're just anybody who's saving a dog to me is just doing an amazing thing and i love them for it beautiful what are a few uh, major mistakes people make when adopting pets that may have been abused well whether they've been abused or not the mistake people make is they think that the dog they're bringing home is the dog that they're getting and that's never the case so when you first bring a dog home the best thing you can do is give that dog as much autonomy and independence as possible put him in a crate let him see you let him experience the home environment experience you without putting him on a leash and trying to train him or letting him come in the bed or or play with the other dog because you're setting your dog up for failure by expecting him to be as he is when he comes home. Dogs mm-hmm. become what they, they they become their environment. So they need that time to unwind. They're coming out of a shelter, and if you just let them run around and do what they're going to do, they generally will get in trouble. And that's where I've gotten most of my 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 calls on my private business, where people say, "Well, the dog was perfect when I brought him home, and three weeks later he's trying to kill my other dog or trying to bite my son," because mm-hmm. they evolve. They see where the weaknesses, they see where the strengths are, and for their own survival, which is complete instinct, um, they're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah, so they kind of see the lay of the land is what you're saying. Exactly. Once they're... And they're survivors. Uh, you know, I mean, in, in their rawest form, they're the ultimate survivors. They've survived, you know, 100,000 years co-evolving with us. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and w- when you talk to, um, you know, another trainer, when you talk to Daryl, you'll see he, he does protection dogs as well, just like I do. Um, th- there's ways we read dogs and we make them strong, and there are ways that we read them and we understand how to take that strength and manage it. If you yeah. don't do that, the dog may or may not show those characteristics. And if he does and you don't know how to handle it, you- you've got your hands full. You're going to have a problem with that dog. What motivates you to daily continue to do the work you do with all you see and all you come up against? Why do you do what you do? What motivates me is what I see and what I come up against. The challenges motivate me. You know, the fact that, that you know, that we, you know, as, 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 a, as a human beings, as a species, can make a difference. Um, it, it is the only thing that keeps me going because you see dogs, you know, I mean, so many dogs will die for every one we save. So, you know, you just say, well, if I stop doing what I'm doing, then more will die. And that's where I came up with the saying of, you know, you can't save all the animals in the world, but you can save one. And that, I, I tr- you know, transgressed that into my whole life and became a vegetarian and said, well, if I don't have to eat a chicken, then I can save a chicken while I'm saving a dog. And uh, and I think that was an, an important aspect and something that I try to, you know, put into all my messages whenever possible. So if you can't save a dog from a shelter, you know, have a salad instead of a burger and you save a cow. Yeah. Are you living your dream? Is this I, career uh, something that, Yeah. Yeah, I always say, you know, I've lived my dream ever since I taught karate, did photography. Um, I think life is so short, and I actually just texted Sonia, and I said, you know, I said, life is so short that you have to live your dream every minute, or else you're just committing the greatest sin in the world. 
Yeah. She needed that today. I, I talked to her. Yeah, she's a good girl. Yeah, she had Angus for 14 years. So sad. Yeah. It's the greatest loss. You know, they say that losing a, losing a dog is like losing a child. You know, for people. I mean, people who have children, it's different because you have children. You have something else to equate it to. But if you don't have children, I know when I lost my dog and when my girlfriend and I put uh, one of her dogs down, it was just the most devastating thing to me because I've never had children. Yeah. Well, I told her when I'm finished with the radio show, I'm going to go over and give her a hug. (laughs) Nice. Well, give her one for me, too. I will. We have a couple of questions that were sent in from our listening audience. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. Our first question is from Tara. And Tara's from Soho, New York, and she wants to know how to train her adoptive dog to slow down eating and not to be so aggressive when it comes to meals and food. And is it bad for his digestion that he eats so fast? Uh, yeah, it is bad for their digestion. It's also bad for their their basic spirit, their their whole way of doing things. Because dogs that rush to eat, um, they can bloat very easily. But the big thing as well is they think somebody's going to take their food away. So what I tend to do with those dogs is, is two things. One is, is what's called slow feed bowls, and you can get them. Like a lot of times in the old days, we used to just put a big brick in the middle of the food so they would have to eat more slowly to get around the brick. Now you can buy them on Amazon or you know, probably in Petco as well. And it's just they're little things that stick up inside the bowl, so they have to work around to get them. And the other thing, too, is to hand feed the dog, to get the dog to understand that there's always more food available so they don't have to rush as much. And hand feeding ends up creating an amazing relationship with you and the dog as well. You want to know what's odd? Uh, mm-hmm. Yesterday I had a conversation with a nun that works with prison inmates, and she helps um, prepare them for when they come out of prison. And she was saying that they have issues mm-hmm. of aggressive eating and yeah. and. And then Tara sends this question in uh, in regards to dogs. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, it, it is very similar, too, because dogs that are in the shelter, you know, just like people, and I've had friends who have been in prison for a long time, um, they're very protective over their food because they have to eat it, and they only have so much time to eat it, and if they don't eat it, somebody's next to them. So, yeah, it, it's very similar. So, you know, we want to kind of address it the same way, with fairness, yeah, with love, it, but with a lot of structure. Yeah, it's both incarceration, both imprisoned. You Absolutely, know? yeah. My next question is from Will D. Will is from Seattle, Washington. He wants to know if you can give him any tips to help him with his new profession of dog walking. He's been doing it for over a month. Wants to know if there are a few fundamental tricks that will make it easier, his life easier. (laughs) In dog walking? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, dog, dogs relate to a pack um, very similarly, you know, throughout, throughout the breeds and everything. As long as he's a strong, confident leader, then he's not going to have any issues. But um, he needs to keep his confidence up and his, he needs to be completely, I don't want to say completely detached because it sounds wrong, but he needs to be autonomous to the pack and not show favor to any dog for any reason. You know what I mean? So if he has one favorite dog and he keeps babying that dog, other dogs will, will in essence, have some jealousy towards that dog. So the, the, the leader of the pack is equal. He sees all his dogs as fair and equal, and he doesn't allow dogs to pick on other dogs or, or show bad behavior. He corrects that immediately. Okay. Uh, Glenda is from Austin, Texas, and she wants to know how to keep her dog from always going up to strangers and growling. He is a Chihuahua mix and pug. Yeah, and smaller dogs, I was almost going to, I wish you wouldn't have told me what the breed was, but chihuahuas are notorious for doing that, mainly because the way they're raised is we keep, we hold them in our hands, we, um, we keep them in purses and bags, and we make them feel very dominant because they're up higher. 
So when they get lower, they feel at risk. So they're, they're going into what's called a defensive drive, and they're trying to protect themselves or their person. The easiest way to, to fix all those things is to instill some basic, basic, basic obedience, a basic sit, a basic stay, uh, a basic look at me, and then the dog can't do that. Okay. Irina is from Sarasota, Florida, and she wants to know if her dog doesn't like a man she's dating, if that means that the man can't be trusted or isn't suited for her. He only has liked uh, one ex-boyfriend, and, and um, the ex-boyfriend was with her when the dog Jojo was a little puppy. Yeah, well, what's happening with the dog, the dog is showing jealousy. So he's being, he's being protective over her, which shows that generally, and I'm not trying to assume this, but she's not a very strong leader to the dog. There are oh. times where dogs are great judges of character. You know, like with police dogs, if there's a person running, you know, the person trying to get away, they know which person to go after. But that generally goes along the lines because there's adrenaline involved and, 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 and a lot of drives involved. Dogs need to kind of, you, you, we can't rule our lives and say, well, my dog doesn't like anybody I'm dating. They're all the wrong people, unless you're just a really bad picker of, of people you're dating. Um, I would say she should focus on obedience and make sure that the dog understands that she's in control and it's not, his, not her dog's job to pick her partner. Okay. Yeah, that sounds smart. Yeah. Okay, we have one more question, and it's from Lucius from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He wants to know how to handle his adopted dog of six months in regard to kennel syndrome. His best friend told him the dog has kennel syndrome. He's not sure that that's so, but... Kennel syndrome is a, is a term that I coined years ago, so I'm wondering if it's something that somebody read in one of my books or one of my articles. But kennel syndrome has to do with dogs that are in the shelter, and they don't like to be in the kennel, so they end up doing things like spinning or, or, or barrier aggression or shutdown, things like that. The way, if he's putting the dog in a kennel or in a, in a crate, he should make the, the kennel experience very, very positive. So I always start out by feeding the dog in the kennel, in the crate, and, and allowing them to go in and out of that kennel often and, and freely. The mistake people make with crates and stuff like that is they put the dog in there, they shut the door, and the dog starts screaming. And when the dog screams, they open the door. So the dog realizes that their fear of the kennel is what's going to get them out. So they never learn the freedom that the kennel provides. To me, if I open my kennel doors on my car, both of my dogs will hop in their respective kennels and just sit there, and they won't come out because they think this is the greatest thing. We're going to go somewhere fun. We're going to get great treats. I mean, all good things are going to happen. So, I, you know, I would start by letting the dog be good and hungry for a day and then putting their food in the kennel, putting his food in the kennel and leaving the door open, letting him see that that kennel is he's free to come in and out. And at some point, close the door and then open it right away and let the dog see that good behavior gets him out and good things happen in the kennel. Okay. Well, his best friend told him, so I'm thinking maybe his friend did some research. Maybe he was able to kind of locate this for him and try to figure out what it is. So that's fantastic. That is amazing. The only thing we, do, we sometimes do as humans, and I've seen it a lot, is we anthropomorphize the dog. So we start to put human emotions on the dog. Like, oh, the dog is scared because um, the, the door slammed closed, and he had a bad experience once because the door slammed on his tail. So we start to really extrapolate out things that aren't there. And what we really need to do with the dog is see them for the way they see life, which is in the moment. So if the dog is trying to get out of the kennel, he just doesn't want to be confined at that moment. It's not that he's afraid or anything like that. It's the moment that we have to deal with. It's not the history that we have to deal with. So dogs live in the moment, and they can be really uh, retrained and conditioned very well if we stay with the, the, the idea of the dog is a dog, is not a human. They think very differently on some things. Okay. What's your answer to why we are here? 
and maybe why you are here. <laughs> Man, you know, I think it's 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 like a Zen cone, and and I don't know if you know about Zen, but um, mm-hmm. the, the cone is a question we ask, like the, what is the sound of one hand clapping? I don't think there's an answer to it yet. I think everything is an answer to it. You know, I don't think it can be answered in words. I think it's just something by, by asking ourselves a question of why we're here. I think we're answering the question. I like that answer. I ask every guest, and and uh, this is the first time I had a response like that. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It's a great, great, great title. I love it. Thank you. What are you working on next? What am I not working on? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to um, trying to finish my book, my dog training book for for um, people. You know, my my dog training my for civilians for regular people. I'm working on a dog training video. I'm working with the clients. I'm training. I'm trying to bring bound angels to more shelters. Um, main thing I'm really trying to do is to get the awareness of bound angels out to more people, to more media, because the more exposure we have with bound angels and the more people I can talk to about it, the more dogs we can save and the more lives that can be saved. Well, where can our audience locate you for information on your books, the organization, uh, donations? And BoundAngels.org. Everything is there. And, uh, and our Facebook page, Bound Angels, you know, both are very, you know, very available, very accessible. And, um, the, you know, all our information is there. There's, if you work in a rescue or a shelter or a humane society, there's over 100-plus videos available um, on our Bound Angels training channel which you can access completely free of charge. And, you know, we rely on donations to keep those videos coming and producing them and bringing them to people. But they're all available completely free of charge online. So if you work at Humane Society and you want to help more dogs or you're thinking about volunteering at Humane Society, go watch our videos. There's 100-plus of them. It's like a master's course in canine behavior, especially shelter behavior. Okay, boundangels.org. And is there a location, physical location you have here in, in uh, California area or no? No, because we, you know, we work in shelters. Whenever we have a shelter, we, we help. We go to that shelter and we provide the programs and we videotape them and make them available. Fantastic. So we are everywhere. Fantastic. I have a question. Mm-hmm. I ask all my guests. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with the Matrix movies. Mm-hmm. And I ask everyone, do you take the red pill or the blue pill? I think sometimes you have to take both, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Robert Cavell, founder and executive director of Bounds Angels, thank you for coming on Why We Are Here. Well, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for allowing me to share Bound Angels with so many people. Thank you, thank you. We're going to take a break for commercial, but if you'd like to reach us at Voice America's Why We Are Here to let us know what's on your heart and mind, then kindly email us at Sharon at info. In the meantime, you'll find me on Twitter at Sharon Isis Rose, and please go to IsisRoseCreations.com on the contact page to share with us your take on why we are here and sign up to win a few gifts and prizes for being such a great listener. We're honored to have books for our lucky winner from our today's guest, Robert Cabrell. And we'll be right back with international dog trainer Daryl Dogman Young. Please stay tuned for the following announcement. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Wouldn't you love to experience formidable, personal, transformational changes to highly benefit your life and those around you? Do you want to eradicate anything holding you back from living with focused clarity in a harmonious lifestyle of the highest of intent, vitality, and abundant well-being? 
Empowerment coach, energy healer, and visionary author Sharon Rose Washington is here to assist you in the revolution of your evolutionary self. In these unpredictable times, it is important to connect with one's own pure inner power base of expansive creativity, heightened intuition, and radiant fulfillment. To contact visionary Sharon Rose Washington for information or to make an appointment, call 323-960-5167 or email Sharon at whyweareherein.info for a free introductory consultation. For immediate empowerment coaching and energetic transformational healing services, please call 866-231-HEAL. That's 866-231-HEAL. It's time to celebrate the joyful life of the authentic origin you were meant to live. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Why We Are Here with empowerment coach, energy healer, and visionary author Sharon Rose Washington. If you have a question about the program or would like to share a comment, please send an email to Sharon at whyweareherein.info. That's Sharon at whyweareherein.info. Now, back to the show. Hello, welcome back. I'm your host, Sharon Rose Washington. Joining us now on Why We Are Here is Daryl Dogman Young of Canine Training School for Dogs. Daryl has been working with dogs and training them since the age of 10 years old. Let's talk about dedication. He is the lead trainer and owner of one of the most professional of dog training services available worldwide. And we're excited to have him here with us today. Welcome, Daryl Young, to Why We Are Here. Thank you, Sharon. It's my pleasure. Now, where did you get your name, Daryl Dogman Young? Um, well, you know, I, I, I train a lot of dogs for... Um, guys in the hip-hop industry, you know, Suge Knight and everything. And actually, Suge Knight gave me the name because uh, one day he, he asked this guy, hey, call Daryl um, Young to, to come here and, you know, deal with the dogs. And they go, who? And they go, Daryl, you know, the dog man. So it became <laughs> Daryl the Dog Man Young. So. Okay. Now, you actually are pretty well-versed in all types of individuals that you train dogs for internationally. Do you want to expound on some of the uh, the uh, training that you do and for whom? I mean, well, you know, we do, I have locations in five countries. You know, I'm in uh, Indonesia, in Russia, the Bahamas, uh, Costa Rica, and uh, now in Cuba. And, um, you know, we do from basic obedience all the way to personal protection all the way in some countries, you know, we've done um, law enforcement, you know, drug dogs, bomb dogs. Um, patrol dogs. So, you know, we do a little bit of everything. Um, depends on which country. Uh, they each have, like, a different niche. Okay. How did your career begin? Because I mentioned since the age of 10. <laughs> so how did it begin as a dog trainer? Uh, well, you know, I love dogs. I grew up in the projects of Oakland, California. And in government housing, you're not allowed to have pets. So the only way I could actually spend time with dogs and puppies and all that, was to actually volunteer at the SPCA in Oakland by the Oakland Airport. So I started there at 10 and stayed there until I went away to college. I'll be, I, did, I had no idea. And yeah. so your, your love for dogs kind of took you in a whole nother direction. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I used to get, I was a little nerd in school. Um, 
And they actually used to, like in my neighborhood, call me Dr. Doolittle because they see me walking down the street with my dogs, uh, chicken, and everything else. So. <laughs> so tell us more about your business canine training. Um, well, the, the, the canine basic school is, um, you know, we specialize in, 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 in obedience, on and off-leash obedience. We do do a lot of uh, uh, providing dogs for personal protection for you know, I provide dogs for uh, people in Saudi Arabia, for you know, members of the royal family, uh, members of the government in Equatorial Guinea. Um, so, you know, I travel a lot. I'm, I, every month or so, I'm gone for like a week or two weeks out of the country. And um, but yeah, we're a complete complete service. So whatever you need, if you if you have a Chihuahua that's barking, you just want basic obedience, we provide that. If you're looking for Dogs to guard your estate, we do that. I mean, I've trained for people in Colombia. I've trained for people in Russia. Um, you know, I've trained for celebrities. And I think uh, the celebrity thing to me is not that important because everybody in L.A. is a celebrity something. Celebrity plumber, celebrity dog trainer, celebrity <laughs> hairstylist. Celebrity I mean, dog. <laughs> yeah, celebrity dog, even though dogs are famous. So, you know, the dog with a blog. But... Um, you know, I mean, but if you just want names, I've trained for Shaquille O'Neal, for Sylvester Stallone, Bill Maher, um, and I could go on with the, the celebrities. Yeah. What's a, what's a fundamental truth or practice that people need to know regarding uh, dogs that trainers know? Just any kind of inside secret you might want to share with us. Well, you know, what I want to, what my biggest peeve is that dog training is not a magic wand and is not rocket science. You know, and, you know, the, the, the pet industry is bigger than the film and the music industry put together as far as dollar-wise. I think it's about $52 billion a year. Whoa. And, you know, you know the thing is people, um, if they use a little common sense, they could probably train them dog, their dog themselves. And it's amazing how people don't use common sense, you know. And so... Uh, you know, I'm not trying to, to, to get people not to have their dogs trained by us, but, you know, I, I probably <laughs> turn away half the clients that call me because I have a conversation with them on the phone and, and tell them, you don't need to pay if you do this, this, and this, which sounds kind of stupid, but I feel good about, you know, I only want people to pay us if they need us. No, it, it makes sense to me. I remember um, at the hospital when I was uh, going to have my daughter and, and the doctor that... Um, gave the anesthesia, he was telling all the women in the room, you know, not to have it. And right. I said, I, I raised my hand because I wanted natural childbirth. And I said, I'm having natural childbirth, but you, you do this. Why are you telling women? He said, because you're one of maybe two women in the entire room that's going to have your child natural anyways. So, and, and I think that's the key to kind of what you're saying right now is that there's an honesty about what you're saying, and you're saying you don't really need me, but I think it makes people want to need you. Then, does that make sense? Well, yeah, I think there's a there's a comfort level when they realize I'm not trying to sell them. Exactly, I'm not trying to get their money. Um, I'm, you know, it's almost like a negative sale. Yeah, uh, and, and unless you give me a good reason why you need our services, we probably won't help you. Yeah, uh, you know, if you're just, uh, you know. The, the people that, and I tell them, if you're a, if you're a mother, if you're, a, if you're a good parent, you know how to raise a dog. 
I like that. Is there a breed of dog easier to train than others? No such thing. You know, the, you know, the, the dogs are like, you know, the think dogs are not cookie cutters. There are dogs, and it's just like um, people. You know, they, they, there are dogs that are smart. There are dogs that are dumb. There are dogs that are dangerous. There are dogs that are nice. I mean, it's all about genetics and, um, and their personality. And sometimes that's why it's so important of when people buy purebred dogs because they know what the parents, grandparents are, were, were like. So you can almost kind of gauge how your puppy's going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the dogs that, that we do deal with are rescues because you really don't know their lineage. Yeah. So you, you don't know what you get when you get it home. Yeah. Do you have a favorite dog uh, or type of breed that you'd like to be around or to train? Um, you know, I love, I love all dogs. You know, dogs to me are like kids. If you're a good kid, I love kids. If yeah. you're a bad kid, I don't want you around me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, so in that case, my, do you believe every dog is trainable? Oh, sure. Everybody's trainable. Every, every, oh. dog, every dog can learn. You know, just like every person can learn. Somebody said, well, that guy is crazy. You know, uh, say a human being is crazy. I said, well, he's not that crazy. He's not walking in the middle of the freeway. Yeah. So he, he understands that if he walks out there, he might get hit by a car, and those are not things that he wants to happen to him. You know, dogs, no matter what, learn from their experiences. Well, who are your dogs? Do you have dogs yourself? I have 10 dogs. Oh, my. Oh, my. You have, you have a a pack. <laughs> I have a pack. You know, I, I have ten dogs. Or a, you know, a posse. Have, yes, you know, a posse. But my, my, I have my little Yorkie, and she runs the show. Oh. You know, then I have my my Dobermans. I have a couple of pit bulls. I have a black Russian terrier. I have a Labrador, and so you know, I have a, a nice mix. And the Yorkie's running it. She's the queen. Oh my goodness. Well, we mentioned you travel the globe and you've trained, you know, dogs of celebrities, politicians, and diverse professionals. What's been the most rewarding in your career? You know, I think the the most rewarding is what I'm doing now, and and that um, I've been in Cuba, going back and forth to Cuba for the last 14 years, and actually bringing uh, the level of dog training up in Cuba has been a great experience hmm. Be- because the guys in Cuba, you know, they, they, they train dogs or they try, but they're so far behind as far as technique and understanding. And it's like watching when you take your child to the zoo and the first time they see an elephant, and you see that glow in their eye. Mm-hmm. I get that when I'm in Cuba and I'm, and I'm teaching them a new technique or showing them, you know, how to get their dogs to do this or understand their dog. And so this whole time in Cuba is like fantastic for me. It's like a new, a brand new love affair. Exactly. What do you think of dog parks and, and places created for dogs to socialize? Dog parks are a great idea. I think the, um, uh, the big, I haven't been to dog parks in years because the people that go there, a great number of them are irresponsible dog owners. And they're, they, they just think it's a place to drop your dog. It's like childcare. Drop your dog off. And or put them or your your child in front of a, a, a television screen and go about your business. So a lot of them just drop their dog off in the park, then they go socialize and and try to make it a pickup spot instead of supervising their dogs and watching their dog behavior and understanding who's starting trouble, who's not. So for me, I don't like to go there because uh, the people 
a lot of them are not responsible dog owners. Yeah, I I, I haven't taken my dogs. We're, we have an area where I can take them in the mountains, and we have the yard here, so they the Danes get to move around. But uh, I wanted to know your opinion on that. No, I think it's a great idea. The thing is, you know, great ideas are always destroyed by the few that don't want to follow the rules or are not responsible. Mm-hmm. Are any and all dogs able to detect uh, scent, and are some individually better uh, at it than others? Oh, for sure. I mean, all dogs have a better uh, ability to uh, detect scent than us humans. But And then there are dogs that... Um, are better better at it than others, and, and but more importantly, there are dogs that are more motivated than others. You know, um, like all I think all humans can play, and, and I'm always going to use an analogy of humans because you know people seem to understand better. But there 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 are kids that could be a superstar in basketball, school, whatever, but they're not as motivated as the other child. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the dog. You know, for a dog to be a good drug dog, he has to be super, super motivated to find his reward item. And some dogs could care less. Not that they're incapable of doing it, they just could care less. That sounds like personality. <laughs> sure, it is personality. You know, I'm and sometimes it's even to the point of OCD. You know, the dogs have the same thing in you know, OCD as, as humans. And so if you have a dog that's just crazy about his ball, this is the dog you want for a drug dog. He's crazy about his ball, and he'll look for it for hours. You know, this you take that OCD or that that personality, and you train to say, if you find this drug, or even if you find cancer, you know, you know, dogs are now being trained to find cancer. If you find this scent and locate it, you will get your ball. Oh, that sounds like Sterling, one of my Danes. Oh my goodness. There's a question I want to ask you. I, I didn't get to ask uh, Robert Cabrell. Uh, founder of Bound Angels, but do you dream and are dogs in your dreams? Um, they have been. They have been. Uh, and I do dream. Sometimes I can't remember them, but sometimes I do. And, and they have been in, uh, in, my, in my dreams. Are, are they your dogs or are they just dogs? I want to hear about one of the dreams. Oh, you know what? God, my God. You know, I, I get so little sleep. I think when I'm, I'm out, I'm passed out. Um, but I just I did have a dream just a few days ago, and my dogs and I were like running from somebody. I don't know why. Uh, we were all over the place, and uh, just me and me and my little Yorkie. The rest of them, I don't know what happened to them, but my Yorkie <laughs> and I were on the run, and, and, I, and I don't know why. <laughs> might have been something she did. Oh, was, no. oh, yeah. She's a little. She's a little treat. So she'll. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have a few questions uh, sent in to Sharon at info. Are you ready to answer a few of the questions? I'll give it a try. Okay. Our first question is from Hank W. Hank is from Ontario. He wants to know if protection work in itself uh, can make a dog mean. Uh, he said in order to do protection work, um, does what type of dog do you have to have? Okay. This that's a great question because a lot of people assume that a protection dog needs to be mean or dangerous or whatever. You know, when you train a dog in protection work, it's like teaching a kid karate. You're teaching him a, a skill set, meaning if somebody kicks the door in, you do this. If somebody grabs 
my mom, you do this. If somebody reaches into your car, you do this. If your owner tells you to stop, you stop. So it's a skill set that, that is for a dog when they're taught properly. Now, that being said, when you teach a child karate or whatever, if he's a bully, if he's uh, uh, inherently a, a, a bad person, then you have a, a bad person has skills to hurt somebody. If your dog is inherently nasty or um, uh, can tend to be dangerous or defensive, then you have a dog that has skills that can hurt someone. So that is why it's so important to know your dog before you give them the skills. But the skills alone will not make your dog nasty. Okay. The next question is from Sky. Sky is from Oregon, and she wants to know um, if you've ever, ever really become attached to a dog that you've trained, and, and if so, why some and not others? Um, again, you know, dogs have personalities, and there are some dogs you just, you just love them because they, they, they want to please, they, they're happy, um, you know, they bring joy to your life just when they see you. You know, when you walk into a room and, and a dog is happy to see you, that makes you feel good. You know, so it's just like when you walk in a room and a person is happy, it makes you feel good. So some of these dogs have that kind of personality, like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're here. And you, you form a bond with them. And I, and I think humans do that with anybody that shows them love and, and affection. And there Our are some next... dogs that could care less if you come in a room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Our next question is from Bonita from Culver City, California. And Bonita wants to know, have you ever been bit? And even though you wear protection gear, can a bite be fatal? She wants to actually get into the training business. Um, well, if you're going to be in dog training, period, where there's protection or just pet obedience, there's a likelihood that you may get bit. Um, I just got bit a couple of days ago. Um, and it was, it was you know, just an accident by the dog. But this is part of... Uh, of the business, if you're a chef, and you, you you may cut yourself with a knife, it goes with it, you know, with the with the territory. Can a, a dog bite be fatal? A, a, an initial bite by itself, no. But if you get an infection, for sure, you can get blood poisoning and whatever things like that. And um, I just had a a conversation with a young lady earlier today. She's getting into the pet sitting business. It's amazing. A lot of people want to get into the pet business because. They want to be actresses and actors, or whatever, but they don't want to work in Starbucks. <laughs> so, so they all think, I've had dogs all my life. I'll take a leash and walk this dog and get my $20 an hour. The problem is dogs are living creatures. And this, this young lady, she went into the home, the dog, you know, bit her in the foot, you know, bit her in the hand. And I said, you, you know nothing about dogs. So how can you just go in there and start wanting to walk someone's dog? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I said, come to the kennel. We're going to give you a lesson on how to survive. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, we have another question from Kyle from Toledo, Ohio. Kyle wants to know what is the most aggressive dog. Uh, people say pit bulls, and uh, Kyle actually has a pit named Mandy that's very passive and sweet. Well, that's a, that's a, a misnomer. The pit bulls are probably one of the the sweetest dogs for humans, you know, because if you go to the history of the pit bull, the pit bull was 
bred to fight other dogs and other animals. But in that, the, the human being, the human owner, had to actually be in the pit with the dog. So if the dogs were man-aggressive, those dogs were not bred. So mm. pit bulls, by their breeding alone, were meant to be non-aggressive toward man. Okay. We have one more question. It's from Ricky D., and he wants to know, uh, what's the most exotic and the most expensive dog you've ever worked with? Uh, the most exotic dog is probably um, a, a Korean uh, Jindoki. It's the national dog of Korea. Mm. And um, the most expensive dog was probably about $200,000. The dogs go up to a million and a half. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, 200000 still at the low end, but, uh, you know, a dog last year was sold for a million and a half. Are these mainly dogs that do protection work? Yeah? Nope. Show dogs cost more than protection dogs. Okay. What about dogs that jump out of planes? <laughs> dogs that jump out of planes, military dogs? Yes. Those are the most inexpensive dogs out of, all the, the, out of the whole group. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, because the military and the police can't afford the the high-end Dogs that are beautiful, whatever they're, they're 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 they get more functional dogs. So those dogs are in the you know the eighteen thousand dollar range, nine thousand eight you know to eighteen thousand dollar range. The the show dogs and you, and and uh, a show German Shepherd that won the championship in Germany, that dog's value is about two hundred fifty thousand dollars because mm-hmm. it's just like a stud racehorse. The value is based on how much money it can produce for its owner. Okay, uh, Daryl, what's your take on why we are here? I don't know. I, you know my, I think I'm here just to one day at a time, bring one smile at a time, and that's it. You know? Beautiful, beautiful. Where can we find you online? What's your website and, and uh, phone number? Uh, the website is the K-9 Basic School. That's T-H-E, the letter K, uh, the number 9, basicschool.com. And um, you can reach our offices at 310 Six eight five seven, okay. and that number uh, will go to the corporate office, and if no one's there, it will transfer to wherever I'm at in the world. Okay. I have one last question to ask you. I'm in love with the Matrix movies, and I ask every guest, do you take the red pill or the blue pill? You know what? I forget what the red pill and the blue pill does. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help you. But, 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 if, but if whatever pill that makes you think outside the box... And, and live on the edge, that's the pill I take. Of course it is. <laughs> okay. Well, Daryl Dogman Young, thank you so much for joining us on Why We Are Here. Uh, you know, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you again. Okay. And now for my final thought. I'd like to thank my luminary guest today, Robert Cabrell, founder of Bound Angels, and Daryl Dogman Young of Canine Basic Training. Both men have dedicated their time and energy to working with canines, and in helping to raise awareness in the treatment of their well-being. Both men serve a purpose in understanding, caring for, and respecting canines and their presence on the planet. In their work and dedication, both Robert and Daryl prove that everyone and everything deserves dignity. Bernie Parent said it best when he said, There's a reason we call dogs man's best friend. We can learn so many things from a dog's behavior, personality, demeanor, resiliency, and most importantly, the willingness to unconditionally love, loyalty, and companionship down to their very last breath. 
You come in the door from a long day's work. The dog doesn't judge you. He doesn't care how you're dressed or if you've just really had a bad day. No matter the situation, your dog is happy to see you. You're greeted with the same enthusiasm each and every day you walk in that door. A dog has the ability to live in the present moment. They don't regret the past or worry about the future. I mentioned earlier in the show I was dedicating it to my boys, my Harlequin Great Dane, Sterling and Aristotle. But I'd also like to honor and pay tribute to Sonia's friend, Angus, who made transition at the age of 14. May he rest in peace. We all have to take a moment to pause in wonder and pontificate on why we are here. No life is meaningless, no breath is wasted. We are all a beautiful, intricate part of creation making life happen. Remember, the kingdom, queendom lies within. Stay rooted in Mother Earth and lifted by Father Sky as you continue to walk side by side in gratitude with the ancestors and angels. Please keep me in your heart, and I promise to always keep you in mine. Have an enchanting evening. I'm your host, empowerment coach, healer, and visionary author, Sharon Rose Washington. We hope you've enjoyed listening to visionary author Sharon Rose Washington and her insightful luminary guest. Please join us for another powerfully transformative show next Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on Why We Are Here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For questions, information, and appointments, Sharon can be reached at Sharon at whywearehere.info. Or for direct empowerment coaching and healing, call 866-231-HEAL. That's 866-231-HEAL. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.